Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our awesome guest is Berg Chebby, co-founder and CPO at Zeppelin, and we're going to talk about data-driven design systems today. This show is brought to you by Userlist, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. It matches the complexity of your customer data, including many-to-many relationships between users and companies. Book your demo call today at userlist.com. Hi, Berk. Uh, hey, Jania. It's really nice to be here. I'm, I'm excited. We're equally excited to learn from you today from the first hands. But before we dive into the main topic, tell us a bit more about yourself, your personal background story, and um, how Zeppelin started and went on to be a household name. Yeah, yeah. So I am a, uh, a software engineer by trade. After working at uh, an agency in Turkey for a few years, that's where actually I met all of my co-founders. We've kind of realized this sort of pain point that we had as we were building products, and that's where the idea came from. So uh, we've started working on Zeppelin at 2015. I've initially done a bunch of uh, a bunch of coding. I've worked on our Mac app, our integrations with design tools, and then over time, my role kind of evolved into doing more of a product role, I guess, doing more of uh, PM things. And yeah, I've done. I've recently done uh, some design work as well. So it's a, it's a mix of a lot of different things. And Zeppelin itself, it started in 2015 or so. Right. It quickly became a very popular thing. At least uh, in my design days, I definitely mm-hmm. have heard and have seen people using Zeppelin. But then design markets have started shifting and, and uh, Sketch has became less popular and Figma started being right. more popular. Right. So I'd love to hear how the business has evolved and what... How would you describe the business these days? It's definitely been an interesting journey where when we started the very first years of Zap, the thing that we were doing basically is, you know, designers had this pain point of, oh, I need to spend so much time creating these, what we call these red line documents. And Zeppelin would just, was just taking care of that right away. And it was a huge time saver. And nowadays, basically, I guess literally all the design tools have built-in sort of handoff or spec features. So over the years, especially in the, I guess, in the third or fourth year of Zeppelin, when we were thinking about like, where where do we go next? We were always thinking Zeppelin uh, should be, you know, bigger than just, just handoff and just specs. So we've already started investing in more things. So this really kind of correlates with the time when a lot of people start moving over from Sketch to Figma. And a lot of people that use Figma and Zeppelin today, the main values that they get is around what we call uh, finalization, organization, and uh, documentation. So we kind of almost see as like just to, as a a comparison maybe, we kind of see Figma as a a designer's sort of playground where they just try try a lot of different things. They do explorations. And Zeppelin is the place where the work is kind of presented to the rest of the team. We've kind of built it around sort of organizational features where it gives you better ways of sort of organizing, filtering through designs. 
and a bunch of documentation uh, features recently around stuff like user flows and annotations and things like that. So that's where we kind of headed. In my mind, I kind of see Zeppelin as a, as a layer that sits on top of the design layer. So it doesn't really matter which tool you use, uh, but that's the place where you document and share your designs. So do you describe Zeppelin as a tool for designers or do you target developers as well? It's a mix of both. We have a bunch of uh, developer-focused features as well. We have a lot of PMs and folks like QA also use Zeppelin. But at the end of the day, the designer is the primary persona in a sense that they need to kickstart the process. Even if a designer comes in and they simply publish their designs in Zeppelin, you might argue that the developers and the rest of the team get more value. But it's a, it's a combination of sort of the whole team that, that makes it most helpful. <laughs> About a year ago, you embarked on the journey of learning more about pains that the, the audience experiences, and uh, this sort of set off a new direction for you and a new product that we're going to be sort of discussing today. Mm -hmm. So what were the insights that you learned, and how did that fuel the new project, Omelette? I'm going to disclose the name because it's, uh, it's in, <laughs> is it in beta right now? Yeah, it is in, in private beta right now. So basically, when we were talking to uh, developers, just I guess that this kind of started as an internal research project where we were trying to figure out like what what more can we do for developers at Zeppelin. Uh, we had a bunch of features around design systems, and as we were talking to developers, one interesting pain point just kept coming up over and over, and it was really around it was less around building the design system itself; it was more around measuring whether the thing that you're doing is successful or not. So having basically a more data-driven approach to design systems where you can easily measure if a component you've worked on recently or uh, an improvement that you did, was it, was it actually successful or not? So people were having a lot of issues around uh, just visibility into usage data around design systems. And that's an area that really felt interesting to us. So that's what we started to focus on. So we're going to talk about design system today, their implementation, how we can measure the success. But let's zoom out. And how do you define a design system based on your current worldview and real company yeah. practice? <laughs> I guess design systems have a super long history. But if you look at the, I guess, the, the more recent times, Design systems, I guess, is sort of comprised of just reusable elements that sort of exist end to end within within a product. So you can think of like if even if we want to get even more sort of tactical, it's basically a combination of sort of components that live in your design file, components that live in your code base, stuff like tokens as well. And it's it's kind of the shared understanding, the principles and guidelines around how to sort of use all of these things kind of in harmony as a team. That's how I kind of think about it. How does it look like in terms of assets and uh, documentation and the way it exists? Because having worked on a real product for five mm -hmm. years now, real product remains sort of a little bit of black box for non-technical users that can't comprehend the live like code library. Yeah. I feel like design systems are just It's a product of its own that lives within a company. I guess it could be as simple as just a list of components in your design file. I guess that as things get more and more mature and more and more people are involved, 
it also, I guess, contains a bunch of uh, work around documentation and process. As we were talking to a bunch of different teams, I've seen teams at a scale where if you're working on a new product, a new feature, you can't even use or create brand new components. You have to go through the design system team. It's a, it can be painful, but at the end of the day, everything's, you're sort of, you have clarity around every single component that's used in the product. I've kind of seen teams in the sort of in the middle ground where they do have a design system, but they're not so uh, keen on every single thing being a reusable component. I guess there's a mix of different levels of design systems. When you think of, for example, what we do at Zeppelin, we do have a, a design system that since we're kind of relatively small, small, it's not as mature as a, as a bigger, uh, compared to a bigger company, but uh, you still have practices in place where, you know, the designers, it just basically helps, helps you get more, more efficient. But, you know, ours, for example, might be lacking on the documentation side. So it really, it really matters on how many people are involved to sort of, I guess, make a decision around how much documentation and practices that you have built around the design system itself. From your research and observation, what is the typical company size when it becomes viable to actually document this well? And just what's the average successful design team that needs, needs all of this? Where yeah, does this... the maturity happen from, <laughs> you know, from being a small startup towards doing this? Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on the type of product you're working on. And I guess also the uh, the scope of like, do you have multiple products that you're working on? Do you work with different clients? You know, I guess it, it really it really depends. But I've, what I've seen is that you at least need to have a few designers, uh, probably more. And this usually correlates to the, the, the startup or the company being at probably a little more than 100 people. That's kind of where we start people to see, even though, you know, there are components here and there, you know, everybody uses components. But for this thing to be an official, I guess, a process, an official team within the company, we've usually seen more than 100, maybe maybe around 100 to 200 people. That's when people are like, okay, we're going to have a dedicated team of designers, developers, PM working on this thing full time. Are there any companies who make public design systems part of their sort of marketing efforts so that we can go to and explore and get inspired by? Yeah, that's a really interesting topic because when you think about, I guess one of the reasons why these sort of public design systems came along is because a lot of companies have sort of products that are extensible. So if you want to build something, let's say, on top of Jira, you might want to go and check out Atlassian's design system because you want, you want everything to feel like Jira. But I feel like this has also become a more of almost like a recruiting kind of a hiring thing as well, where people just want yeah. to show off the amazing design system that they worked on. So it's, I feel like it's a, it's a mix of both where people kind of use it as a, as a way to, to, to sort of show how how invested they are in this in this process, because it's it's exciting for a designer to join a company that has really spent so much time thinking about these types of things. So you've mentioned Atlassian and any others that come to mind specifically. One of the companies that we also worked with at Zeppelin that has an amazing public design system is Washington Post. They have an amazing uh, website. 
just going through every single sort of principles, guidelines, components, everything is very well documented. So even I feel like documentation itself for a design system is just a huge topic of its own. Ages ago, we talked to Roger Dudler of Frontify in their like early stages of, of their product, I believe. And the problem they investigated and discovered is that companies like Lufthansa and other like giant brands, they have absolute trouble, like even understanding what their fonts are across right. uh, the number of different departments and things they do in different countries, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. As the company is growing, this is something we kind of started to feel at Zeppelin now that we're kind of over a hundred is if you do have a design system in place, you want to make sure that everyone's basically aware of what it consists of. And this is really a full-time job because these things evolve and you need to make sure that your documentation is always like always kept up to date. And you can, you can use obviously tools like uh like zero height or, or, or frontify, but, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's less about the tool. It's more about you being committed to making sure that every single thing is properly documented, unless there's always going to be this confusion and it's this sort of core problem of, oh, I didn't know that component existed. I didn't know that that font existed. The typical sort of conflict between, I guess, development and design. <laughs> classic, very classic problem. We're going to talk about measuring the success, but what does that success look like in both a qualitative and quantitative way? Like, let's say a bunch of designers got together, developed a library of components, started using it. I'm describing it like it's a revolution. It's actually evolution most times, right? And then how do you understand whether that's a success or not and what a non-success looks like? Like Right. Right. <laughs> I guess when you first start working on it on a design system, it's it's usually, I guess, f- from what we've seen, it's usually an investment of uh, a couple of people that's really excited about this topic. So they they come together, they create a list of. They usually go through a the existing product if there is one. They come up with like a a list of basically all the all the different UI elements, and they just they just get to building this this library of components that is shared across design and development, which is at that point, that's, that's really exciting. And that's everyone's sort of on board. But as you, as the team matures and more and more people start using the design system, I think a a common issue that a lot of companies run into is the conflict between this design system team. That's really keen on promoting reusability consistency. On the other end, you have your sort of, more typical product teams that is working on a specific feature and they just need to ship something by a certain date. So if they're having any trouble using any of the components that you worked on, they're not going to wait for you to just fix it uh, for for weeks. They're going to create their own thing. And I think that's where the sort of the conflict starts to happen. People, as more and more products are growing, you kind of end up in the situation where you have a bunch of custom components that, that are built. So it's almost like a depth that keeps on growing over time. So as a design system team, you just have to make sure that, uh, you know, there are no bugs, no unpredictable issues. You have to make sure that you're not really blocking the product team in a way. Otherwise, it's going to be a pain for your product team rather than, you know, making them more efficient. I think that's the, that's the main, one of the main challenges that larger design system teams have. 
I'm always curious, what are the best practices of keeping everything up to date? Because it can't be just a review once a year, but how do you make sure that it consistently remains up to date? And honestly, this question can be extrapolated to like help docs and anything that's supposed (laughs) to reflect reality, right? I wish I had an answer, but yeah, that's... It's a matter of just having someone that is really dedicated to doing this this work of maintaining and just keeping everything in check. Basically, what we've seen teams do is they try to have some sort of view into how components are being used and whether are there new components that are coming up that needs to be reviewed and then hopefully added to the design system itself. And it really, this kind of ties into the topic that we want to talk about around having more data, more visibility. It's some of the teams that do this in a very sort of qualitative way where they just do a bunch of surveys with developers internally, trying to figure out where they're having pain points. And they just sort of synthesize all that information and they try to come up with solutions. Uh, And another way of doing it is just having some internal tools built in where you you can clearly see when, let's say, a new component that pops up, uh, a custom component. And you can over time see how many people are using it, how many times it is used. And then you can start to investigate whether that should really be a part of your design system or not. So it's kind of this unending journey of uh, visualizing what's happening and then coming up with decisions around whether it should be a part of the system or not. Speaking of which, uh, you've developed a solution to this problem or you're working on it. It's named omelet.dev. Am I pronouncing right. it correctly? Uh, what's the thought process, the philosophy? Is it a satellite product to Zeppelin? It's obviously a separate brand. Right. Um, that was an interesting challenge for us. To, as we were thinking through this this pain point and how we're going to focus on it, even though we had a bunch of features that are very design system focused within the Zeppelin tool itself, we felt like this was a different enough area that it really would just confuse people to in, in a way where it would, it might feel like Zeppelin's almost like trying to do way more than it should. So we, we try to almost like have this this clear differentiation between, you know, what Zeppelin does is, uh, even though it has design system related things, it's trying to tackle a different problem. So it made sense for us to build a new brand around it with a new name, just to, I guess, both reduce, we didn't want Zeppelin to be too bloated, and also not confuse users around like which tool is for what. Let's uh, make a creative detour into branding. And please tell us how Zeppelin was named and how you came up with the food name for for this new project (laughs) yeah there's kind of a weird similarity between actually the two names both zeppelin and omelet the way they are spelt so basically when we first started thinking about a name for for zeppelin one of the things that i don't know if i mentioned this but we all four founders of zeppelin we're all from turkey so as we were thinking of a name um, i guess we just wanted to make it a little fun and try to find a word that exists both in the Turkish and the English language. And our main goal was basically to help even like our moms to be able to pronounce the name of the company, basically. So Zeppelin was a great, great choice where, you know, it's basically the same word in both languages, but it's spelt a little differently. So we took that Turkish spelling and used it as the name of the company. And we had another, a bunch of other 
words like this as well. And omelet was actually one of them. So it made sense to uh, to use that uh, as the as the name of this 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 second product. Looking at both websites, you are going completely off brand with with the omelet now, and that's an interesting decision. It seems like you would from the uh, just preservation slash, I don't know, economical standpoint, just go and reuse your existing website system and everything, but you're just going completely off brand. Is it for fun? Is it to experiment with something new? What's the thought process? That's actually a good question. I, I feel like that's it's kind of a mix of all of the things you mentioned. There's definitely some fun aspect to it. We just want, I guess we just wanted to do something different after all these years. Like I said, one of the main reasons we kept it as a separate thing is we just didn't want people to feel confused about like which tool does what. So in a sense, having it different in terms of branding as well, it just, just helps people, I guess, visually understand that, you know, you know, these are not, these are two, two completely separate things. So tell us more about what exactly is the data-driven component of measuring design system usage right. that Omelette does. Like I said, as we were sort of doing a, a research around how we can help developers more, we kind of kicked this off as an internal Zeppelin thing, but we over time realized that this this thing that kept coming up, this pain point was around just having more, just not being able to see some of the sort of the things that you work on these components that you that you built, you you can't clearly answer certain questions. Stuff like, you know, how is my component that that I worked on adopted over time? Are people are people actually using it? Another thing that we just talked about is uh, was a very common pain point. People design system teams want to be aware of the new components that are almost like that are emerging, and you want to make sure that you sort of keep those under check. There are also a lot of cases where a design system team is serving multiple product teams, which is pretty common, and they want to have more visibility around how which team is using the design system more efficiently and which team is not. So what we were kind of realizing is that this was a pain point that people either had to manually solve or they had to build custom solutions internally to sort of somewhat automate this process. So once we kind of realized this, it felt like a good opportunity for us to tackle this problem and sort of try to come up with a common solution where our people can really see the results of their work, basically. Who's the typical user of this? Is this like CPU or someone of equal status who's overlooking product or top designer? I guess it's basically anyone in the design system team, I would say. But our main sort of our primary persona is the developer because we're kind of taking a more code first approach. You know, a lot of design tools have kind of built in solutions. I think Figma has one where you can really have some an analytics around design system usage within Figma. But we wanted to take a more code first kind of approach that's why the primary user of the tool is is the developer at this point where they're the ones who run omelet and they it sort of analyzes your code base and comes up with the with a list of uh, insights and sort of visualization around how how the design system is adopted but at the end of the day you can think of it as almost like a dashboard for your design system or anyone who's curious about how the design system is performing 
are we are we actually getting the the value out of the investment that we're making so it's a dashboard for for the in that sense for the whole company to see whether the design system is making an actual impact it's interesting that in this context the user of the design system these are all internal team members so when we say data driven anything it's usually like how to measure how the ultimate user mm-hmm. uh, making success with the app in your case it's how internal team members are being successful is there a similar data-driven approach to measuring the ultimate product usage related to design components? There are certain things where once we were talking to users around like, sure, we're talking data-driven, but what are what are some of the insights or what are what is kind of the ultimate goal of measuring your design system? And I guess there were a few different topics that came up. One is around just purely measuring adoption. You just want to see whether the components that you work on, are they being adopted? A lot of these teams, one of the primary reasons actually they, they did this is just to get almost like a buy-in from, uh, from, from the leadership team. So it's, you just want to make sure that the commitment, the investment that you're making into this design system, it actually has proper returns. And a great way to show this to your leadership team is is to just tell them, hey, look, our design system is, uh, here's a list of our components, here's how, how well they're adopted, and this number is just going, uh, is going up over time. That's one of, the, one of the things. Another thing that's to me, is very, very interesting is you can also use the data to basically identify sort of gaps within the design system. Just to, just to give you an example of, let's say, you have a brand new version of your design system. So you have two versions of the design system out in the wild. A common thing that happens is a certain product... Your, your brain explodes first. Then. <laughs> yeah, <that's>, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, but it's, it's pretty common for a design system, you know, to have multiple versions, right? It just mm-hmm. evolves over time. And once you have multiple teams using it, it's really difficult to figure out, like, wait, is this is this team using the old version which but this other team is really quick to adopt a new version so there's just a lot of insight around which team is doing what and just having that sense of just you know being able to make decisions around this this type of data is very very helpful even though if you don't have visibility into stuff like this most of the design system teams they do they have a more qualitative approach to this where they do a bunch of uh, surveys with developers very frequently so just to just to get a sense of how how much value they're getting out of this thing but once you have this this data view it really helps you make make decisions much quicker and much more uh, i guess you're you're more confident as you're making making these types of decisions what are those workarounds that you've been observing in the wild basically when somebody mm-hmm. is Promoting a tool, my first question is, how do you get the same effect DIY with something simple to achieve right. like a small effect for your small team, but equally so like in that direction? Right. We've kind of seen like the, I guess the both ends of the spectrum, one being a smaller design system team, and they want to make sure that they show progress to the, to the rest of the company. Uh, so you just basically put together a spreadsheet of all your components and you manually track how many times it's used. I'm sure this is a painful process, but it's a it's a great way to just show 
that you're making progress and the the thing that you're investing is 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 worthwhile. And then the other end of the spectrum is, I guess, it, this becomes a a pain as you grow and as you scale. So people have started to sort of try to automate this process where they've written internal tools like scripts, basically that scan your code base and try to, and just sort of almost like dump out a usage data where you have this component is used this many times and in this project, and then you use some sort of visualization tool to build up charts. But obviously the the big pain point with this is that this is some, this is a tool that you need to keep maintaining. uh, And it's a, it's a lot of work. I'm glad you mentioned multiple versions. Do you have any recommendations for teams migrating from one design system to a new version or to another one? Leave alone the rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely a big challenge. From what we've heard is that you just need to be patient in a sense where there's going to be different teams that adopt it at a different, I guess, speed. So, you know, one of your teams, they might be very open to this new design language and they just they just go straight in. They're excited. And then there will be teams that will that will lag behind because they just have so many things that they work on. So I think a good approach is to make sure that even though you release this new thing, you have to keep maintaining the old version at least for some time until everyone feels comfortable to to move over. It's going to be a lot uh, sort of extra work for, for a while, but it's it's worthwhile. And uh, I guess you can think of this as almost like a, like a brand new version of a product. Uh, so even if you release your product 2.0, you want to keep maintaining the old version for a while. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's pretty similar. You just got to let people ease into this uh, slowly. It's not, there's, there's no way you can rush something like this. <laughs> What are your favorite blogs, books, resources on design systems in general and specifically on data-driven approach? Specifically for data-driven, I feel like this topic is pretty new that there's no one dedicated sort of uh, place to go look at. But there are amazing companies who shared resources around this. There are also great talks that really inspired us as we were, as we were building this tool. One of the companies that really invest in this is uh, is actually Product Board. They have great talks around how they do this internally. Companies like Segment and also I think Segment, I believe, open sourced even some of the some of the tools that they've used. There are certain companies that shared a lot of data around how they do this without really talking much about the the tool itself, but more around some of the insights that they look at. So I feel like. Since there is, this is kind of a new thing, there's not one place to be. It's just a mix of uh, different companies sharing different blogs around how, to, how they do this. We've got two nice links from this. <laughs> <laughs> That's already great. We're going to include that in the show notes. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom today. Where can people find uh, you personally and uh, both of those products that we've discussed today? I guess the best place to find me would be uh, on Twitter, if it still exists when you when you listen to this. Yeah, my, my Twitter is my first name and last name, B-E-R-K-C-E-B-I. And for the tool itself, like you said, it's called Omelette, and our website is omelette.dev. It's, it's still pretty early, so at this point, we just if you're open to 
giving it uh, this this tool a try. We would love to talk to you and just get some insights around how you do this today, uh, because this is, we're, we're still at the beginning of this this journey, and it's uh, there's there's lots to do. Well, kudos for your effort in that direction, and thanks again. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Yeah, this was this was really fun. Thanks a lot, Jane.